and welcome. You're listening to the Genesis Podcast, the official podcast of the Genesis Community Church in Upland, California. It is our goal to inspire one another to change the world by effectively living in the way of Jesus. Check out our website, thegenesisstory.com. There, you can learn more about us, where and when we meet, ways to invest and support, but most importantly, how to get connected. Thank you for spending time with us today. Good morning. Good to see you here. Thank you guys for joining online. Happy that you could be here with us. Uh, Before we get started, once again, I want to thank everyone who takes the time, effort, and sacrifice to donate to Genesis to allow us to keep doing the things that we are doing to pay for the, even as we were talking about today, the rights to be able to do things online with music and keep the lights on. And as we move forward, we want to be able to do more and you are making that happen and be praying about how we can move forward in a way that is connected with our spirit and our character. Um, Because I think God wants to do a lot more in us, through us, um, and let's allow that to take place. And I think this morning we have an opportunity for that to take place. I'm not going to be sharing. Brian is going to be speaking. Yay, Brian. And so it's wonderful to see the gifting and just the talent that is in so many people. And I think one of the things that Brian has been so good at has been cultivating talent in people. Um, and it's something that he does so well, and I know he's going to do it with all of us as well uh, this morning. So again, thank you guys for participating, being a part of this. Uh, I want to encourage us to continue praying for patience and Ecuador. I saw them Friday. It's just so difficult. Uh, she is having such a, a difficult time, understandably, and there's nothing we can do to stop it from being difficult, but we can love on them and continue to pray for them. And so I encourage us to continue doing that. But let's pause and let's pray and we'll get started this morning. God, we are grateful for an opportunity to get together, to interact and enjoy each other's company, to be able to laugh, to be able to talk, to be able to encourage one another. And Lord, even as I've mentioned patience and Ecuador, I pray that your hand would be upon them in whatever way that looks like. May you bring comfort, peace, hope into their hearts in the middle of the pain. Thank you for their family who is there with them. Thank you for all those who have come alongside to bring food and to just be with them through this time, Lord, as family leaves and as they are left by themselves. May that gap be filled by your Spirit's presence. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would use Brian to speak into our lives, that we would be open to hear what is being said not just with our ears, but with our hearts, to be able to grow in our lives because of what we experience here this morning. And we thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Could we get it for Randy one time? Clap it up for Randy real loud. 
All right. So I'm thankful that I get to give the message today and start the conversation. I think it's really cool, the model that we've been moving into, because I feel like at any point, anybody could get a spark of inspiration and tell Sam, um, I want to lay out some tools on the table and that we can talk about and, and start a feast together. I think this is a really cool way that um, we all can learn from each other and that we're not learning from one person, going home, getting our gas and leaving. So I'm, I'm thankful to Sam for the opportunity again to be able to, to share. Um, to, to stay on topic of Sam's one word dissection, I picked the word intention this morning. So I wanted to uh, lay out some meat on the table for the feast of the combo that we're going to have later. So intention is the word that I picked. And when I thought of intention for the first time, the first thing that came to my mind was, was why. And that is a big word. Because um, why anything, right? Why do I do anything? Uh, why did you decide to wake up this morning? Why, why did you choose that outfit? Why did I choose my spouse? Why did I choose Alex as my spouse? Why did you choose Val? Um, I know why. He's handsome. He's good looking. He's a stud muffin. Yeah, I mean, soccer player, Brazilian. It's not that hard to see. Okay. Um, <laughs> he had hair. He said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's going nowhere. It's going down the drain. Uh, why, <laughs> why did you choose the lunch you had yesterday? Why Genesis? Um, why God? Why Jesus? If you believe in Jesus, why do you choose to follow Jesus? Why, um, even when thinking about choosing the word intention, I had to think about why I chose the word intention. How did I want to be seen? Was it like smart or witty? Did I want to be seen as um, being introspective? And the other question was, am I in control of any of these thoughts? So examining intention takes like a tremendous amount of thought because of the, the bandwidth that intention takes up, right? So I wanted to explore intention, um, lay some stuff out, and talk about what I think um, Jesus thinks about intention, and then we can start the conversation later. And when thinking about impactful stories in my life that maybe I remember as a child that can help illustrate this, there's not a ton of them that were like very, what do you call this? Uh, none of them that were non-traumatic. I feel like all the, the memories I have as a kid um, were a little bit like, the ones that stuck anyways were a little bit like uh, hurtful. And the one that came to my mind in particular that I was telling Alex was the last day of sixth grade. Uh, a gal that I was friends with, let's call her Stacy. That's her actual name, so we'll call her Stacy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, she's never going to see this. Uh, Stacy was my good friend, and she came to me on the last day of school. She had just won this award, I remember, and she sat me down in the corner, and she told me that she had a crush on me for the whole year of sixth grade, and she wanted to know if I'd be into dating Stacy. And, and the whole time Stacy was talking, all I could think about is as soon as Stacy gets done, I'm going to tell her about the crush I have on this girl named Shanna, all right? So... She's going on. I couldn't remember what sixth grade Brian was thinking and what my face looked like because I've never had that experience before. But I do remember breaking the news to her and her being pretty uh, like straight-faced about it. And I don't know if we hugged or high-fived, but acted like nothing happened. The following year at a brand-new school, seventh grade, first day of school, 
who's in the class? Me, Stacy, and Shanna share a class together on the first day of seventh grade. And what does Stacy do? She makes it a point to stand up and tell not only Shanna, but the rest of the class exactly what I told her on the last day of sixth grade, which was that I had a crush on this girl. And then I blacked out. I don't know what happened after that. I don't, I don't remember what happened the rest of seventh and eighth grade, right? But there is, there, that story is packed with intention, right? There's um, so much intention here. There's Stacy's intention of telling me that she liked me and in my hopes that I liked her back. There was my intention to not hurt her feelings. There was her obvious intention to embarrass me first, first day of seventh grade. And there was this other intention of Shanna not having any intentions at all, right? Just this <laughs> innocent, poor Shanna. I don't even know. I, don't, I haven't talked to this girl since seventh grade, but I don't know what happened. And have you ever watched a movie and there's always a scene where, where the, the dad sees his daughter being more uh, serious with a, with a guy, and she's, he says something like, what are your intentions with my daughter, right? And that's a, I think that's a really cool question. Even though I never had to deal with that, what are your intentions with my daughter is a really um, cool thing. I don't know, you guys all have daughters. And, and I imagine there's this feeling of when you see your daughter start to date somebody that you're like, uh, what, are, what, are they, what are they thinking? And that examination, I think, is telling something about us. We're, we're, we're trying to figure out um, what this person's purpose is with, with my daughter. What, is, what are their intentions? And that, I think that's an examine. I'm going to bring that up later. Um, intentions, like various other mental states, can be understood as consisting of two components, a content and an attitude towards the content. On this view, the content is an intention. The content of an intention is the action plan in question, and the attitude involves a commitment to executing the action. That's a lot. So I brought a... Uh, I brought an illustrator. All right, that's the, the hammer comes in. Um, a content and an attitude towards the content. A hammer in hand towards a nail or towards a face. They're, they're very different attitudes towards something. And this combined thing, the content, the attitude towards something could be labeled as, could be labeled as the, um, the intent. How's it going, guys? Hey, Evan. And so... The, um, another way to think about it is a thought. So like if this is a thought, this could be a thought towards positivity or a thought towards negativity. And I think that's just another way to, that's another way to reexamine it, right? And I don't want to give you an existential crisis, but it kind of did that for me. It took me down this like crazy rabbit hole. And for a moment, just for a moment, at this moment, I'm asking you to recenter your intentions by re-examining the root of all your thoughts. So to like even think about this very moment, why you're doing something. Why are you here? Why are you listening? What are your thoughts with um, what you're going to do later? Are you here? Are you present right now? Or are you leaving? You know, um, there's a, One of the first books I ever read was called The Power of Intention. It was by this guy named Wayne Dyer. And uh, he has this quote that says, with everything that has happened to you, you can either feel sorry for yourself or treat what has happened as a gift. Everything is either an opportunity to grow or an obstacle to keep you from growing. You get to choose. It's exactly like the hammer. You get to choose um, which way and towards your, uh, you get to set your intention towards your day, towards this gift or towards negativity, right? The Webster definition for intention is a thing intended 
aim or plan. I hate when they use the word inside of the definition. It's kind of, so a thing intended, an aim or a plan, but there's a few others. It's almost like a predecision. There was this other really cool definition for intention, and it's in the medical field. It says it's the process of healing, which is, I thought, an interesting one. Intention is, is defined as the process of healing. The roots are Latin. Intensio means to stretch or a purpose, which I think is super cool. Um, and the way that I thought of that when I was digging in that a little bit was, um, like, have you ever asked somebody for something in this way? Like, this happens when I'm at my mom's house sometimes, when, she's, when something's sitting in her living room that she's hoarding. Uh, I might say something like, hey, what do you intend to do with that? You know, what am I really saying? That I understand the thing's purpose, and you don't, and I want to put it into purpose. I want to put what it was intended for into purpose. And I think that's something... Um, that's something really interesting, right? It's like uh, maybe you're growing up and your parents said something like, you, you might have took something of theirs, and they're like, what do you think you're doing with that? What do you intend to do with that? They're assuming they know the purpose of this thing, and they're asking your intent. And so the application of that is if you can understand what something was intended for, you can begin to recognize its purpose, and that's, that's, that's deep. Well, you could, if you could understand what something was intended for, you can start to begin to understand its purpose. When Alex and I, uh, after we got married, we, don't, we never, luckily have had, never had any of these like real fights. I don't know. Like we never had any of these like real scuffles. Um, you know, I don't know why I did like this because I don't know. I'll never go. I'm never going to box Alex. Uh, she'd win anyway. So everybody, everybody knows if, if there's like our face on a flyer, she would be the one that, uh, Knock me out. But like maybe year one or two in, um, we made this separate vow, right? Which I think came from little disagreements of, of our getting our feelings hurt. We weren't sure. We, I mean, living together for the first time, this whole situation, right? And, and the, the, that vow was something like, we will never do anything to hurt you on purpose. We'll never do anything to the other on purpose to hurt each other. So in that, what that did was create a, um, a foundation of intent. It, it, it did something. It did a, a few things, right? It said, every time I get my feelings hurt, I can come back to this um, vow of saying, which is, seems like it's really implied. Like, I'd, like if me and he- heaven have a, a friendship, it's implied that I'm not going to hurt you on purpose. But what that did for us out loud and saying that to each, other, to each other's face and making that vow, it did something interesting. It said, like, it... It made us understand that nothing moving forward about my feelings have to do with her hurting me on purpose. And that was big for intent purposes. Like It was like, I know her intentions. Her intentions are to love me and to uh, progress me and to um, treat me with respect and love. And if I can understand that, everything else moves, moves a different direction. It's like the nail automatically becomes easier to hit when you understand the intention and the purpose, right? Um. When someone knows your intention, the outcome becomes more clear. And this is a segue into can changing or setting an intention change the outcome of something? Like if you were to set an intention today, could it change the outcome tomorrow? And there was this doctor, her name is Lynn Taggart. She was the author of this book called The Intention Experiment. She did this experiment with four bags of seeds. And she gave one of the bags to her circle of friends to set intention over these seeds. She's, this was her pseudo, you know, science experiment. And she said, I want you to set an intention over these seeds. I want you to tell these seeds they're going to grow two times as fast as the rest of the seeds. 
And um, she brought, she didn't bring the bags of seeds with her to the conferences. What she did was give the seeds to these other scientists. They planted the seeds. What she did was bring pictures of the bags of the seeds with her on tour when she did this book tour. She put the four pictures on the screen of the seeds, and she asked the audience to do the same, very specific intentions, that these seeds grow twice as fast as these other seeds. They said 100% of the time, she did this experiment numerous times, the seeds that were intentioned over grew exponentially faster than the ones that weren't, right? I mean, I don't know. I wasn't there for it, but we can assume that there's something about intention and setting intention that changes a circumstance, In psychology, intention refers to the idea or plan that an individual wants to implement. Theory of mind suggests that human beings have a natural and inherent ability to predict, represent, and interpret the intention of another human being, and that ability is known as empathy. Setting that kind of positive intention will will start to sprout a new neural pathway in your brain, and the resources will go towards supporting it. In a fascinating series of papers... Spanning a decade and a half, Donald Davidson has sketched a general theory of intention, a theory that tries to explain what it is to do something intentionally and what it is to intend to do something later, and how do these two phenomenons um, relate. In summary, how is intentionally doing something now related to wanting to do something later? And it seems pretty simple, but a deeper level of that is, um, does, does the future want or intent exist without the original intent? right? That's a lot. Intention is still very abstract. It's still very big, but it's also been described as prayer. It's been described as motivation, the secret, goals, empathy, meditation, a tool. They can be all or none of these things. Um, Can you change an outcome by changing the intention? There's a book in 2006 by Rhonda Byne, and she called this book The Secret. Has anybody heard of The Secret? And it was like this idea of the law of attraction. It was saying that we have this constant thing in our brain that we cannot turn off, and we're constantly attracting things into our life, good or bad, and you choose. If you can, if you can focus on your intention on positive things and bringing healthy things into your life, healthy people into your life, then um, good. If you can't, typically our natural inclination is to attract negative things. Um, and the book got super famous. It, got, it, it was like... Uh, it was like world-renowned. Um, that same lady that did the experiment with the seeds, Lynn Taggart, she says that she had these really cool quotes about thoughts. She says, thoughts are terrible trespassers, and your thoughts are constant broadca- are constant broadcasts. Essentially, what she's saying is that thoughts are coming to our brain without us wanting them, without us knowing them, um, and then we are constantly broadcasting out our intentions without even knowing it. Consciously and subconsciously, we're telling people what, what we want, what we do, uh, what we want with them, what we want to do for them, how we, how we are perceiving the world. We're, we're doing this with our clothes, with our facial expressions. We're doing this with our actions. Um, our intentions are, are being seen. They, she also did these other random experiments where she cites in her book, um, the, what's that thing called? A lie detector test. They ended up taking this lie detector test and slapping them on these plants and, um, yeah, I know, right? And, yes, yeah, pseudoscience stuff. Slapping them on these plants. And they were so interesting. The person doing the experiment said he had this idea to, let me see what happens if I light this plant on fire. And he said the thought alone, the thought of thinking to light this plant on fire, 
made the plant respond to his thought. And then so he went a step further, grabbed the lighter, and was about to light the leaf on fire. He said the thing was going crazy. Not until he lit the match off, dropped the lighter, did the, did the, did the plant calm down. Did the same thing with eggs, put it next to a boiling egg, and the eggs were responding different. Um, they did this other experiment where a woman, who, a couple who had cancer, they put one in one room, the other one in the other room. The one that was healthy was being shown images of the sick one, flashes of images. And they said, every time you have a get a flash an image of the sick, of your sick partner, send, send them good intentions. And they did this with a few different couples. And they said every time the picture flashed, because they were, they were connected to neurotransmitters, every time the picture flashed, their brain waves um, became to sync. They were, they were naturally syncing up. And I was like, it's a, it's, it's a, you start to believe that there's, your intentions for somebody else could actually change your um, your your chemical reaction inside of your body. Literally, the way that you think about other people could change the way you, you are, your being, right? And if you think of it like that, like a, like a constant broadcast, then you could start to ask yourself, what am I constantly broadcasting? I know like we like to think we're all positive, but like, is your, what is it? Is, is your house always on fire? Are you, are you constantly communicating love? Are you responding with predispositions of what you think people see in you. And uh, I wanted to read a verse out of Luke, Luke 14 to 25. And Luke 14 starts with Jesus being in a room with some known Pharisees. And this is like part of his, his, part of his like, um, this is the part of his life where he has followers. People are starting to question who he is, heavy. He's sitting in a room with people who are, this is, that verse where they ask him, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? And they don't, they don't have a response, right? And so moving down that verse into verse 25, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person, person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. 28 says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. <clears throat> 31 is the second parable. It says, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether, whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, will he send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace? In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything um, you have cannot be my disciples. And a lot of us grew up in the church listening to this, and... It's been preached a million times saying that it's not the point to hate your family and your wife, though for some people that might be easier than others. It's saying that in comparison to, you know, loving Jesus, in comparison, it looks like hate to, what, to the rest of the people that you love, right? And I've always had an issue with this. I've always had, I think it'd be weird if you didn't have an issue with this. It's, it's, it's kind of like saying like, Hate everybody around you, love Jesus, and leave. But I think in a real weird way, in a real world way, this was real for 
Jesus' followers in the days, they had to actually leave their family. Whether or not they hated them was another story, but I think he was making some clear points saying that if you weren't ready to leave your family, if you weren't ready to hate your family, if you weren't ready to um, build some disdain against your family, you weren't, you weren't ready to follow me. And this thing screams of intention, right? He's, he's, if, you, if you're reading this literally, you start to go home and start to hate people in response to God calling you to love. And what Jesus is calling us to do always, not in this verse, in every scenario in our life, he's asking us to check his intentions and how that relates to us in our, in our life, right? He's, he's calling us to, to read, to learn, to listen, what he intended to teach us, not what it's being said. And this is an easy one, right? It's like, of course I don't hate my family, but of course, I, wanna, I want to follow Jesus and love him in a way that looks, looks like, I, could, you, could you even picture that, loving something, God, so much that it looks like hate to everything else, right? And that's big. I don't know if anybody could do that. And if they could, like, teach me, you know? But I think there's, there's poetry here. And then it goes into these two very clear parables about if you build a tower, but don't, don't examine the costs, um, what, what, what is your real intent? Do you want to show off? And the other ones, you just end up looking foolish. The second one's saying, if you're a king that goes against another king, if you have 10,000 and he has 20,000 and don't consider the cost, what, what was your intent? What, what did you really want to do? He's asking, like, what, what do you really want to do? How much do you really love me, right? There's, there's all these underlying intention questions uh, underneath it, right? And, and what you believe and how you believe it can change your actions and alter the intent. Um, I, I wasn't sure how I was going to, how I was going to illustrate this, but, uh, I, I, I told Sam, like, I think I want to use this real quick. And I wanted to take maybe a concept that was known to everybody, like the, the original sin concept. And this one, this one's kind of old school, but, uh, it, it's big. The, there's a couple ideas of, of the fall, what, what was actually the sin, right? So let's, let's, this is for the sake of understanding this concept, which is what you believe and how you believe it can change your actions and, and alter your intent. Because how you understand that verse about hating your father and mother could change how you act with everybody else, right? So I'm going to take a few different ideas of what the original sin was. Maybe the first one being um, the bite. So... Adam and Eve were in the garden. Um, if you're watching this and never heard this story, I'll, I'll fill you in. Um, Adam and Eve were in the garden. Eve took a bite of the apple. And the original sin is actually the bite of the apple. It's, it's the, the sin is the bite. So um, sin is the action. And maybe there's another view that says... Uh, that, that the temptation, them falling to temptation was actually the sin, right? So, um, and this could be represented by the, by the, by the serpent. Oh man, it's a bad snake. Okay. <laughs> all right. It's getting worse. All right. All right. And then, uh, so the, them listening to the enemy was the sin, and then maybe the last one is moving towards a, a more progressive one that says um, 
The sin was that they wanted to be like God and therefore wanting to be their own gods, right? So this one is the, well, and this goes on forever because everybody has an idea of how this happens. Some people think it's Eve's fault. It doesn't matter. This is not important, but I just want to give you an idea of how this works. All right, so this one says they want to be their own gods. And this is how my brain works, sorry. Okay, so when I say something like what you believe and how you believe it can change your actions, this, this first person might have a proclivity to avoiding actions and thinking that what they do, it, what they do is a thing that actually hurts God. Their, action is, their actions are the thing that separate them from God, right? So they might be really, they might be really, um, they might be like the fundamental type. Like, I'm not going to do that. That's bad, right? So they're, let's use, let's take a sin, stealing. They're like, no, never steal is bad. Never, ever, all right? Never steal. Uh, and this is going to hopefully not piss anybody off. All right, so um, <laughs> this person might have a, have a proclivity to say, I'm okay, like, if there's a scenario where I have to steal to feed somebody and it doesn't hurt the other person, really what I'm concerned about is my company I keep. Because I know that if I keep the wrong company, it's going to lead me to temptation. If I keep the wrong company, it's going to keep me from God, right? So this person's like, I'm okay with stealing if it doesn't hurt anybody. Um, I don't, it's not that important to me. But this person's going to end up saying, um, I, I keep good company, it's getting weird. All right. And then this person might say, I am okay with stealing if it doesn't hurt anybody. And um, if I need to feed my kids, this one, it's saying, I'm okay with keeping bad company. But he's like, what I will check, though, is my intention of where I put God in my life. Right? So what I think this person is doing is like, is saying this, thinking that I'm God that I put myself above God is the thing that's going to separate me from God. And this goes on for a different understanding. And this is a very simple concept, right? And you could do this with literally everything in your life. You can say, because down the line, this person's going to treat people different. This person's going to treat this person different. And how, and if you keep on going down, it's going to show your intention. It's going to show what you believe and how that separates you from, from, how your belief will change your actions with people. And, and, I, and I bring up people because that's the thing that Jesus was concerned about. If we, if we can take the ideas that Jesus are teaching us and lead us to actions to treat people better, I think that is, that's the idea. He wasn't, there was like this verse in, in Colossians that, uh, or Corinthians that talks about um, being deceived by the simplicity of Jesus right? If, if we can't get the, the very clear idea that Jesus was here to love people and serve people and here for people, then, then all of this, it, it, it really it doesn't matter. But if it doesn't lead us to loving people, then we missed it. We missed the whole simplicity of Jesus, right? I think. And um, there was this last experiment. I gave you a lot of weird experiments, but this is the last experiment I want to talk about. And it was done by, with these women who they they put little makeup scars on their face and they had them, oh, you saw it, Rick? And uh, yeah, I just saw it the other day. It was really cool. They had them go into a job interview 
And they told them that this is experiment is to, to, to show or to see if there's any um, reaction or discrimination against people with facial disfigurations or, or features, right? And so right before they went into the interview, the makeup artist said, let me touch up something on your scar. And instead they took the whole scar off, but they didn't tell the interviewee. And they had them go into the interview thinking they had a scar on their face. And he said every single one of them came back and reported that they felt some type of discrimination, that the interviewee was either doing subliminal messages or looking or staring at the scar. And I guess the point of that is to say that if you... The point of the the experiment in general was to show that if you have a mentality, a victim mentality, um, that it would carry throughout your life. But the way that I took from it in this scenario for intent was if you are... What this, the same thing I was proving with this is, is if you believe, what you believe can change your actions and alter your intent, you know? They can no longer be present. The, all they're thinking about is, is the scar. Um, how they moved forward was a victim mentality. How, how you see yourself and what you believe, what you allow into your brain and what you sift through can change and alter the outcome. Um, they didn't interview properly, I'm sure. They were self-conscious. They were, you know, like it's this this constant trickle down. And, and my final thought is I don't think that the point of this talk is to think that intentions dictate all that happened in the physical and metaphysical world, but to be aware that it can impact it. It can make a difference and it has consciously and subconsciously in your life. I believe that it's in our best interest to examine our intentions carefully and often. And um, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to share. I thank you that Sam um, trusts me with leading a conversation and that the days leading up to this, I spend more time with you because of it. And thank you for the time. Thank you for this space, for the church and everybody here. We ask you, please uh, bless those listening online. Um, Continue to bless the space and create new desires in us to to want to know you deeper. Check our intentions. Check our heart in areas that we don't even know exist. Bless, bless those who have heard us and help us to recognize them as stories learned and gifts um, of how to move forward. Even Stacy. Even Stacy in the sixth grade, I forgive her and I love her and I just move, I move past it in the name of Jesus. Pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the official podcast of Genesis Community Church in Upland, California. If you've been encouraged, found hope, been challenged by what you've heard, we'd like to ask you to help spread the word by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. You can also help support our podcast by visiting us at thegenesisstory.com. It has been our pleasure to have you join us today. And we hope you'll tune in again next week.